Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'm going to ask God's blessing. Father, we are so thankful for the privilege now of opening your word. And oh God, we know it is your word. Every jot and tittle of it. Every page, every paragraph, every sentence, every word, every everything. And so Lord, we pray now that as we approach it, we approach it with reverence. That we don't, uh, we don't take it for granted. We don't think of it as just some man's opinion. For Lord, it's your opinion. It's your word. And so speak to us today from it. I pray there'd be no distraction. I pray for a calm and quiet time here today. And I pray as we think about these things, that you will indeed speak to our hearts. Encourage us, Father. So much to be encouraged about here. And I pray that you would do that to our hearts today. If anyone needs this in a very particular way, I pray you'll apply it to their heart. And Lord, if there's anyone who needs to know you as Savior, I pray that somewhere in all of this, they'll hear the gospel and they'll want to be saved. Bless this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love the book of Job. I was reading Job in my devotions the other day, and I came across a verse that really spoke to my heart because I was trying to think about how are we going to wrap up 2014 and uh, think about 2015. You know, the, the, the last month of December uh, of the year is a is a rough time on preachers, because we're trying to figure out all these different Christmas topics, and then once we get that all done, we're we're just ready to relax, and then oh, it's New Year's, and we've got to think of something to say related to the New Year. And as I was reading this, I thought, you know, this is uh, this is really a good a good verse for us to think about it, because I like to use the last Lord's Day of the year as a time to reflect. And a time to expect, a time to look back on the previous year as well as plan for the future year. A day of rejoicing over what God has done and prayerfully rejoicing over what we expect he will do in the new year. And so I came to this verse, and it's verse number 21 of chapter 1. Job chapter 1 and verse number 21. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I don't know if that jumps off the page at you right now as a New Year's type of a verse, but I think it will by the time we're done. Because I cannot imagine a better way to sum up 2014 and to look forward to 2015 than what we see in that particular verse. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job was an amazing man. The book of Job is an amazing book. If you've never read it, you, you really ought to. It's, it's well worth reading. You ought to read the whole Bible. But, but read Job. It is believed by many to be the oldest of the 66 books, uh, written probably around 1500 B.C. It's amazing to think that we hold within our hands something that ancient, isn't it? Now, some people believe the Pentateuch would have been about the same age, and, and there's, there's some dissension amongst which, which, was, which is really the oldest, but most scholars seem to favor Job as being slightly older than the Pentateuch. This book is all about the tremendous testings and trials that God brought into the life of this man named Job, and it's about his tremendous faith and trust in dealing with those trials. At the beginning of the book, Job is among the wealthiest and healthiest and most influential men of his day. And then the trials come. And in a heartbeat, his financial health is destroyed. His, his uh, children are dead. His relationship with his wife is over. And his body is ravaged with disease 
in pain. As a matter of fact, if you read it, if you read the first two chapters of the book, it, it almost seems to describe it as being in a heartbeat, just like that. He goes from all of that to none of that. The largest part of the book consists of conversations between the suffering Job and his friends. And they are called friends in the book. I think they really were. They came to comfort and encourage him when they heard of his plight, and at first they seemed to be uh, pretty sincere and pretty right about that. But the majority of the book is these men pontificating with Job over their theories about why he's in the state that he's in. And when you read their vast, long speeches, you, uh, you tend to at first think, well, you know, some of the things they're saying are pretty good. And then you get to the end of the book and God judges them and basically puts his stamp of disapproval on absolutely everything that they said. And so we know at that point that nothing they said was, was really worth listening to. Uh, it was nonsensical for the most part. And some of the best humor in the Bible is found in Job's caustic replies to his friends. Some of the, I, just, I just love some of the things that, of course, they, they read better in the King James than, than in anything. But even in our new King James, they're pretty good. In chapter 16, he says to them, he says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? I've wanted to use that on people every once in a while. He said, I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be to your wisdom. That's another good one to use on people sometimes. Oh, that you would be silent, it would be to your wisdom. No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with complete nonsense? And on and on he goes. There's some really good lines in Job if you just want some, you know, some comebacks to use on people once in a while. But as I read through the book the last time, I decided, you know what, I'm going to ignore all those speeches because I know they don't tell us the truth. And I'm just going to read this book this time and concentrate on the narratives between Job and God. Listen to Job's words and listen to God's words. And, and you know what, I really got a lot out of the book as I did it that particular way. I recommend that. to Try it sometime and see if you don't see even more Job's amazing faith and trust. So here is Job. He has just been viciously attacked by Satan. His children are dead. His bank account is overdrawn. He is covered with loathsome, putrefying boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. And he sits down and he says, Why, God, did you do this to me? Oh, wait, that's not what he said. That's not what he said, is it? He said in our, in, in, in our text today, he said, Naked I came from the womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We might have said the former. Job said the latter. And I think this verse ought to help us reflect. It ought to help us reflect on 2014. It also ought to help us to know what to expect in 2015. So let me make three observations from this. It won't be long. Just three observations and then we'll be done. First of all, notice that Job held his possessions loosely. Joshua and I, as far as I know, did not, uh, did not coordinate our lessons today, but... He stole much of my thunder in his, in his Sunday school class this morning, so I'm not quite sure what happened there. But uh, he held his possessions loosely. Notice he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Now, first of all, we need to make sure we understand this. Job was not really saying that he was going to return to his mother's womb. That would have been impossible. We know that's not what that really means. Most scholars say he was euphemistically referring to his death. What he was really saying was, I was born with nothing, and I will die with nothing. Of course, we know that's true, don't we? 
I was born with nothing, and I will die with nothing. You know, I don't think Job could have said what he said so triumphantly in the second part of this verse if he didn't have a grasp on this first part. I think this is really pretty key to understanding why he could say what he said earlier on. See, he had stuff, but he didn't trust stuff. He lived surrounded by wealth that he knew to be but temporary. He knew it wouldn't always surround him. And he did not consider himself entitled, but rather blessed by God. He said, I have nothing. I will have nothing. Paul expressed something similar, didn't he, in his letter to the Philippians. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I think Josh used this verse too. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Both Peter and Paul were saying something very similar to Job, were they not? They were both saying, we came with nothing, we'll leave with nothing. What we have in this life is temporary and perishing. And if there's anything that 2014 taught me, I'm sure that that was high on the list. Brother, I I, I hear a, a ring. Does anybody else hear a ring? Ring, 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 ring. Is it just me? Maybe it's in my head. Anyway, if there's anything that, I, that I've been reminded of, it's that. We, we came with nothing, we'll leave with nothing. My aunt died this past year, as you, as you all know. She died on the same day that my Beth was pronounced dead. And a couple of months after uh, the funeral and all that was, the, the, the family had this big estate sale. And as people walked through her large home, the comments continually were heard about the huge hoard of stuff that was there. In her 80-plus years of life, she had accumulated a treasure trove worthy of Smaug. It was huge. And do you know what? Every molecule of that treasure remained in that house when she died. Took none of it with her. My mother related a conversation with me uh, that she had had with, with my aunt, in which she had said, looking around at all of the stuff in her house, you know, I'm not going to take one bit of this with me. And of course, she's right. My Beth was a collector. She loved those little hinged boxes. What are they called? Little Limoges boxes. In my house, there is a large cabinet that is filled with those Limoges boxes. All of them. Because not a one of them went with her when she died. One of the things that she liked to collect was nativity scenes. One of the very last things I was able to do with her, where I got to watch her bargaining skills, which were quite significant. One of, those, one of the things I got to do is watch her bargain for this nativity scene in, uh, in the Poconos right before, the day before she died. And uh, she bought this beautiful nativity scene. And that scene sits in my house now because it stayed behind when God called her there. See, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Job held his possessions loosely knowing that all that is here is temporary. His trust was never in the things that surrounded him. His trust was in the God from whom he knew those things came. And it was that perspective in the first half of the verse 
that I think enables him to say the wonderful things that he says in the second half of the verse. So let's look at those now. First of all, we see that Job held his possessions loosely, but notice number two. Job trusted and worshipped God during the good times. He trusted and worshipped God during the good times. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It would be easy for us to read that verse and ignore these three little words. The Lord gave. Because for some reason when we read this, we tend to maximize the negative and minimize the positive. I, I guess because we know where Job's coming from. I guess because we know... Where his mind is at at the time, we assume that's the case. But I don't think Job was doing that. I think he was genuinely aware and grateful for all God had done in his life. The Lord gave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think as we look back over the last year, how do we not rejoice for what God has done? In 2014, precious souls have been added to the kingdom. How do we not say hallelujah? Wandering hearts have been restored in 2014. We have watched joyfully as God has healed some of sickness and disease and, and hurt in 2014. We have listened to amazing testimonies of God's intervention in our lives. Just yesterday I posted on Facebook uh, this passage and asked the question, how would you preach this passage? And I defy anybody to go out and read the things that were written by some folks without weeping with joy over what God has done in lives this past year. Our little church is now just days away. Days away, right, Brother Bill, from completing, completing a building project debt-free because God has provided the people and the resources to do it. Our little church just finished a project that is absolutely wonderful in scope. Every time I think about it, I want to shout that we were able to support a missionary in every one of the 228 countries of this earth. That is amazing to me. God helped you, helped us to do that. Our little church saw our renewed desire to reach our town one door at a time. Oh, listen, brothers and sisters, let's not minimize those three little words. The Lord gave. The Lord gave. <laughs> and blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job trusted and worshipped God in the good times. Number three, Job trusted and worshipped God during the bad times. During the bad times. And I suppose this is the aspect that we most see. When we read this particular verse, Job was not experiencing good times when he said these words. <laughs> Rather, they were terrible times. These words sprang from his want, not from his wealth, from his hurt, not from his health. These things were spoken in bad times, not good. And so I think what we hear most clearly out of that verse is when Job says, The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job worshipped and trusted God even in the bad times. What a magnificent faith this man had. Think about it. He said at one time, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. What a magnificent faith. He said, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Magnificent Job's faith came in part because he had such a high view of God. He didn't think of God as like us. He knew that his ways are so far above our ways that we cannot possibly know all that he knows. Listen to this verse, Job chapter 26 and verse 14. He said, indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? What a verse. Think about that. 
These are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job's faith reminds me of something Timothy Keller said. I shared it with you once before. Timothy Keller said, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And that's what Job was saying. Job knew that God knew all about it. And therefore he could trust him. Too many who name the name of Christ can only relate to half of Job's confession. Too many will bless the name of the Lord as long as the Lord gives. But let the Lord take. Let Him take away. Suddenly they're yelling at God, turning their back on God. Look around this room. There are faces that perhaps you might remember that started 2014 that are not here finishing with us. And if God tarries, there will be faces at the end of 2015 that are here today that will not be there then. Because, you see, hard times bring out the lack of genuine faith in some. And some will not bless the name of the Lord then as they do when things are good. Now, Job, Job trusted and worshipped God in good times and in bad. To his wife, whose falling away from God was evident when she told him he should just curse God and die, he said to her, You speak as a fool. That's another one of my favorite parts of the book. You speak as a fool. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? What faith. Another time he said, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Reflecting on his current suffering, he said, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? You see, Job could trust God no matter what, in good times and bad, because he knew this life to be but temporary. One day, Job knew all would be made plain, all would be made right and good. He said, if a man dies, shall he live again? He said, all the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when I will understand. Job knew that. He believed it. And nowhere is Job's amazing trust in God through good times and bad seen more clearly than in that glorious summary statement of his faith when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a faith. What a faith. Josh sent me an email yesterday. It contained a picture of a skeleton sitting on a chair with cobwebs all over it. And the caption on it read, waiting for God's word to fail. Job knew it, and I wonder if we know it. We can wait all our lives. We can wait on past our lives, and we will never see him fail us. We will never see his word fail, never. What magnificent faith that can say, even in the bad times, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, once again, brothers and sisters, we come to the end of a year and the beginning of another, and we wonder what the next year will bring. And I think as we apply Job's words, the application is pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, it seems clear to me. This past year was in many ways a, a very good year. The Lord gave. So let us hold those successes loosely. Let us trust and worship God. And let us say, blessed be the name of the Lord. This past year has also been, uh, in some ways, a bad year. The Lord took away. Let us know that it's temporary. It's temporary. 
And let us trust and worship God. And let us say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. If Jesus does not come back in 2015, the same is going to be true in the new year. The Lord will give. The Lord will take away. And we will trust. And we will worship. And God helping us, we will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oz Guinness is an author. And he wrote a book called Unspeakable. And in this book, he asked the question, Is it rational to trust God even when we do not fully understand what he is doing? And then he told this story. He said, imagine that you are in German-occupied France during World War II, and you want to join the resistance movement against the Nazis. One evening in the local bar, a stranger comes up to you and introduces himself as the leader of the local partisans. He spends the evening with you, explaining the general requirements of your duties, giving you a chance to assess his trustworthiness and offering you the chance to go no no further. But his warning is stern. If you join, your life will be at risk. This will be the only face-to-face meeting you will have. After this, you will receive orders and you will have to follow them without question often completely in the dark as to the whys and wherefores of the operations, and always with the terrifying fear that your trust may be betrayed. Is such trust reasonable? Sometimes what the resistance leader is doing is obvious. He is helping members of the resistance. Thank heavens he is on our side, you say. Sometimes it is not obvious. He is in Gestapo uniform, arresting partisans, and, unknown to you, releasing them out of sight to help them escape the Nazis. But always you must trust and follow the orders without question, despite all appearances, no matter what happens. The resistance leader knows best, you say. Only after the war will the secrets be open, the codes revealed, the true comrades vindicated, the traitors exposed, and sense made of the explanations. The parable of the resistance leader is an apt picture of the dilemmas of faith in a fallen world. Evil is not a problem because God is too small, though doing his best, but because God is so great that we cannot be expected to know what he is doing. The parable explores if we have good enough reasons to trust the resistance leader. Christians can look at Jesus and say, Father, I don't understand everything you're doing, but I trust that you are good and that you're on my side. Job said, Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there again. The Lord gave the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I read a story of an old man who lived in a small village. He was the poorest man in the village, but he owned the most beautiful white stallion. And the king had offered him a small fortune for that stallion. After a terribly harsh winter during which the old man and his family nearly starved, the townspeople came to visit. And they said, old man, you you can hardly afford to feed your family. Why don't you sell that stallion and you will be rich? If you do not, you are a fool. The old man said, it's too early to tell. A few months later, the old man woke up to find that the white stallion had run away. And once again, the townspeople came and they said to the old man, see, if you had sold the king your horse, you would be rich. Now you have nothing. You are a fool. It's too early to tell, replied the old man. Two weeks later, the white stallion returned, and along with it came three other white stallions. The townspeople said, Old man, we are the fools. Now you can sell the stallion to the king, and you will still have three stallions left. You are smart. The old man said, It's too early to tell. The following week, the old man's son, his only son, was breaking in one of the stallions and was thrown, crushing both of his legs. 
And the townspeople paid a visit to the old man, and they said, Old man, if you had just sold the stallion to the king, you'd be rich, and your son would not be crippled. You are a fool. The old man said, It is too early to tell. Well, the next month, war broke out with the neighboring village. All of the young men in the village were sent into the battle, and all were killed. And the townspeople came, and they cried to the old man, We have lost our sons. You are the only one who has not. If you had sold your stallion to the king, your son too would be dead. You are so smart. And the old man said, It's too early to tell. Brothers and sisters, in 2014, the Lord gave, and the Lord took away. Let us trust and worship. And let us say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And entering 2015, we know the Lord will give and the Lord will take away. Let us trust and worship and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I read where there's a a little town in St. Burian, England. And in this little town, there's a graveyard. And in that graveyard, there's a barely legible tombstone that's dedicated to a family that lived in the 1600s. Underneath of that stone lies the body of a mother who gave birth to a son and died just 10 days later. She was 24. The son lived to be 13 months. He's buried beside her. And buried beside both of them is the father who died a day later at the age of 25. And the words that that tragedy-filled family had inscribed on that tombstone are these. We cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. Words worthy of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.